The beginning of life is an event. It's an explosion. In one moment, all that will be that life bursts into existence. And as that new life grows, amazing events occur one after another after another in that inexorable march toward maturity. When we look at a life, we look at its beginnings, its origins, for sure, but also all that happened as that life moved toward maturity. Some don't ever make it to maturity. Now, we're speaking in generalities here, so don't go jabbing anybody and say, hey, that's you. <laughs> we don't doing that. But, and, of course, this is a fallen world. And some will not reach maturity in any sense before eternity. Some are cut off before they ever get a chance. But usually, every life moves from the explosion of its coming into being through the excitement of all the amazing happenings near the beginning until it reaches maturity and the growth refocuses on the mental and the spiritual. So today, I'd like to look at the beginning of a life and the amazing events of its first years of dramatic growth. Not an individual's life, but that of another organism, the church. If Jesus' life and ministry could be equated to the conception and embryonic development of the church, then the supernatural events in Acts demonstrate the birth, childhood, and adolescent development of the church. In the 28th chapter of Acts, one can read of the last two miracles recorded in Scripture. They are, if you will, that last of, of that early exciting stage of growth where so many magnificent events and changes occurred. But now that we've nearly finished our tour of Acts in detail, I'd like to go back and survey the book, specifically focusing on these fantastic developmental phenomenons and see what they can tell us about the body of which we are a part now, does this seem like too much to do for one Sunday morning? <laughs> well, let's have some fun. We'll just ask a few questions. The question will show on the screen, and you have about 10 seconds to choose the right number. Guessing is allowed. In fact, it's encouraged. Now, I hope I will have asked some questions to which nobody knows the answers. Uh, in fact, I wrote the questions and I had to look some of them up to get the answers. So, <clears throat> so if you get them all right, man, for sure, let me know. Some of the questions are really obscure, maybe not so useful facts. Uh, others are real serious. And hopefully together they'll help us to think a little about the church, what it went through in its birth and its development. So here we go. First question. How many times are miraculous occurrences recorded in Acts. The actual number of miraculous events is 43. How much time passed from the first miracle to the last miracle? 27 years. Okay, here's an obscure one that's probably not a lot of use, but you might be able to remember it. How far apart geographically 
were the first and the last miracles recorded in the book of Acts in the Bible. And if you remember, the first one was, not surprisingly, Jerusalem. The last one was where? We just did it last week. Malta. That's right. 1,222 miles away. You having fun yet? Everybody doing good? Okay. You can see dealing with the miracles as a group isn't the enormous challenge that it might seem to be at first glance. As long as you don't take too long on any individual miracle, we're not going to do that. Uh, I'd like to focus mainly on a few people that the Holy Spirit led Luke to record. Do you know which two members of the early church were there for the most miraculous events recorded in Acts? You were for Paul and Mary? No, Mary was zero. (laughs) That's close too, but it's actually Peter and Paul. Peter was at 15, Paul at 21, John at 7, and Barnabas at 5. Hmm. Mary at zero, and she was involved in any miracles in the book of Acts. Clearly some important ones in another book. <laughs> okay. Before we get to Peter and Paul's, let's refresh our memories and have a little fun with some of the other folks that God used so amazingly in those early days of the church. Who besides Jesus was miraculously moved from one place to another? Yeah, Philip. Yeah, if he was transported, right, from the... Desert back to the city. It was interesting. Now, what order by person were visions first seen in Acts? Who was the first person in Acts to see a vision? Stephen was first. And then Paul saw in a vision a man coming to him named Ananias. So Paul was second. And then Ananias. And then our Gentile friend Cornelius. Then... Peter, who is not attributed as performing or associated with a miraculous act in Acts. Any guesses? Is James, the brother of Jesus, isn't shown to be in any miraculous act in Acts, although uh, Paul does say, in fact, that he saw Jesus after he was raised. Match the number of miracles to the right person. Well, this one's really hard. And I would never have known that, except that I, I did a paper for one of my master's classes in seminary on the miracles on the book of Acts, and that's how come I knew this. I'd have never known otherwise. Okay, the next one. What's the most common type of miracle recorded in Acts? We'll give you the top five here. How'd you do? It's kind of fun, isn't it? But we've had enough fun. (laughs) Let's look at some questions that pertain to the birth of the church. The first two miracles recorded in Acts, Jesus' ascension, and the angel's prophecy of his second coming happened before the church is born. You remember the flurry of miracles that happens at Pentecost and at the birth of the church, and that it culminated in people speaking in languages they never learned. So if you were paying attention, you know this. How many times does the scripture in Acts specifically record a person or person speaking in a way possible only supernaturally? After the Jews in Jerusalem, the Samaritans received the gift of the Holy Spirit. Then Peter and John lay hands on them, but the scripture doesn't actually say that they spoke supernaturally. So the Gentiles at Cornelius' house with Peter is the second. 
Much later, Paul lays hands on some disciples of John the Baptist and they received the Spirit and spoke in tongues. So the last one, I was surprised myself when I actually realized it. I mean, I'd read it a bunch of times, but it happened right after Paul prayed for the disciples of John. And it was when the sons of a Jewish chief priest tried to cast out a demon by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims, the demon spoke through the man. The demon performed a miracle. I mean, that could make your hat kind of spin around, right? <laughs> In the book of the Revelation, the last book of the Bible, we learn that evil people and spirits will perform many miracles for the express purpose of leading people astray. Uh, God created some supernatural beings as well as humans and our universe. Uh, they were all good uh, when he created them, but when Satan fell, he took one-third of the angels with him. We call them demons now. And they are able to perform supernatural deeds, miracles, if God so allows. So remember, a supernatural occurrence does not necessarily mean that God is in it. But who were the top four miracle workers by event in Acts? Circle the ones you think. Peter and Paul, uh, what they do for the church, are really the focus of this story. Uh, both were involved in the giving of the Holy Spirit, which resulted in miraculous signs. Um, by the way, a solid argument can be made that any ability to perform miraculous signs for God required the blessing of an apostle. And that could very well be. Certainly, Luke wants to show that both Peter and Paul are apostles of Jesus Christ. Well, everyone is already convinced of Peter's position. It was Paul's that needed clarification. Now, part of the reason is that Peter was with Jesus throughout his ministry. He was chosen by Jesus with the other 11 in the hearing of many people. So everybody knew this. Paul, then using his Jewish name, Saul, had uh, less of a witness <laughs> for his selection by Jesus. Uh, Peter, of course, also started much sooner than Paul. Do you know what Peter's first miracle was? No, it actually was he, the lame man. Yeah, that was the first one. Now, Luke tells us that after experiencing the miraculous event of Pentecost, Peter first effected a miracle with John by healing a lame man. Luke made sure his readers knew that Paul, too, had later healed a lame man, by the way. But why was Peter's first recorded miracle that of healing a lame man? Now, I know it sounds too obvious. Uh, you remember that Peter and John and all the other apostles promised that they would never leave Jesus, right? That they, but they didn't walk with him. They ran away. <laughs> I know we might think of this as kind of odd or even kind of cheesy, but I don't think it was for them. I think they had a better grasp of the interconnectedness of our spiritual and temporal lives than we do. Well, what of Paul's first miracle? Well, first, let me ask you this. How many miracles did Paul witness before he effected one? It's not zero. <laughs> I know you'd have thought so, but it wasn't. Believe it or not, it was six. That seems like a lot. But remember, Peter and the other disciples had probably a five-year jump on him. Uh, Paul needed to witness Stephen's vision. That was the first miracle he witnessed. 
And he needed to have the vision on the Damascus Road. He needed to be struck blind and then healed from that blindness. Oh, and do you know what happened more in Acts? Blind people healed or seeing people blinded. That's what everybody says, and it's actually wrong. <laughs> you think, because we kind of bring the Gospels into the story too, and a lot of people are healed from blindness in the Gospels, but no, actually more people were struck blind. Paul was the only one healed from blindness recorded in the entire book of Acts. And he needed to have Ananias pray for him so he could be healed and get his sight back. There's another one. He needed to hear Agabus give a prophecy and responded to it. And he needed to have the Holy Spirit call him and Barnabas through others. All before he got to Cyprus and God did his first miracle through Paul. What was Paul's first miracle? He prayed for the Jewish false prophet, the magician, to lose his sight. Can you imagine Paul's thoughts on this? He had been a Jewish false teacher. In spite of Paul's hatred for Jesus, Jesus, because of his deep love for Paul, had struck him blind. Interesting. Let's go back and bring their stories, Peter and Paul's, together. What was Peter's second miracle? Back then, it said to all of them, this is serious business, this new life called the church. Soon after this, Peter and the other apostles were led to do amazing miracles. Folks were laid on the road so that maybe Peter's shadow would fall on them. And if it did, they were healed. Wow! They were arrested and then miraculously freed from jail. And then the stage is set for Peter and Paul to experience a miracle together. What's the single miracle, the only miracle, the experience of which Peter and Paul shared? It was Stephen's vision of heaven. Think of it. Paul was still an enemy of Christ when he experienced it. What an opposite beginning. Peter seeing his friend and brother in Christ murdered by their unbelieving countrymen. Paul, still using his name Saul, was breathing out threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. In a very short time, the Lord would bring Paul up, short, <laughs> and he would see the death of Stephen as Peter did, only with the knowledge of his guilt in approving the murder. Isn't it amazing how God turned Paul's guilt into a burning desire to speak the truth? Well, Paul is beginning his ministry and witnessing miracles. Peter is busy serving the Lord in preaching and in miracles, including raising Tabitha from the dead. How many people does Acts record were raised from the dead? If you guessed two, <laughs> then you probably guessed that Paul raised the other one. <laughs> Eutychus, the young man who fell asleep and fell two stories to his short-lived death. Sorry, I couldn't help myself there. <laughs> and just at this intense stage in the new life of the church, the Holy Spirit, through Peter, brings the Gentiles into the church. James is imprisoned and killed by Herod. Peter is arrested and supernaturally released from prison once again. Paul is hearing prophecies. And Herod, hmm, gone off by himself away from any of the apostles or disciples of Christ.
decides that he really ought to be praised as a god. How many people in Acts had their lives supernaturally ended? It's less than ten. <laughs> and I'm sure you've not forgotten that Ananias and Sapphira preceded Herod in this ignominious witness. And yes, witness, for the scriptures say right after recording Herod's death that the word of God increased and multiplied. God will use what he will use to advance his church. And this prison break thing, who was miraculously released from prison the most in the book of Acts? It was actually Peter. And you remember the amazing miracles that God did through Peter. Well, people would simply take Paul's headbands, his sweatbands, and they'd bring them to sick people who would then be healed. Seriously. It was amazing. And Paul was the only person of the five who saw visions to see more than one. He had three visions, well, that are recorded in Acts anyway. And now we reach the point where all of this started. The last two recorded miracles in Acts. Let's read the first one. It happens right after that terrible storm and shipwreck that we studied earlier. After we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all because it had begun to rain and was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. (laughs) They completely misunderstood what was going on. Even the miracles, miracles did not always draw people to Christ. Do you know how many miracles of Acts were completely misunderstood by unbelievers? It's quite surprising. There were seven different miracles that were completely misunderstood. At Pentecost, some thought that those speaking other languages were drunk. Stephen's vision of heaven was so grossly misinterpreted that they killed him. When Peter and James, John prayed that the Samaritans were given the Holy Spirit, Simon the magician offered them money for that ability. When Paul prayed for the lame man and he was healed, the people of Lystra think that he and Barnabas are gods. (laughs) And after they get it straightened out and preach the true gospel, then they try to kill him. When Paul cast the demon out of the girl, the only exorcism in act, by the way, the men think that they need to remove them so that the God that they have will leave with them. (laughs) How misunderstood is that? When Paul is doing amazing miracles, apparently including casting out demons, the seven sons of Sceva think it's just magic words. And now, when the Lord protects Paul, they think he's a god. (laughs) I mean, miracles are great. They can tell a person who is ready to believe that God is truly with them. But they will just as likely be misunderstood by unbelievers as not. Uh, The message that really matters is the same one then as now. Jesus Christ is alive. He came back from the dead. That's <laughs> and because of that, we have eternal hope. That's the message. Can God still use miracles to draw people to him? 
Now, in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery, and Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, healed him. And with his, when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly, and when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. Isn't it interesting that Luke does not, at this point, say whether or not these people became believers? Was it simply that they were so close to Rome and, and he wrote so soon after the event that he didn't want to bring any trouble their way? It may be. Especially when you consider how the other groups that saw Paul to the ship treated him and their clear uh, status as believers. It does seem clear from the scriptures that the ability to do miracles and to confer that ability on others was limited to the apostles of Jesus. But that does not mean God cannot do miracles. It's never a good idea to tell God what he can do. <laughs> We've seen pretty clearly that unbelievers commonly misunderstand miracles. We've also seen that then and at the end, evil spirits and people will perform miracles. Presumably they can and do now. So what is the last word on miracles? And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administering, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you a still more excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. The Apostle John, much later, told his readers, do not love the world or the things in the world. Instead, remember, this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. But how can we know love? By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Miracles are wonderful things. <laughs> Although only one really matters. <laughs> the time of miracles will be over one day. They will be irrelevant. This, however, will always be true. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And then what will remain? Our faith, our hope, our love. Father, thank you. It is amazing to see what you did in the very early life of the church, the astonishing things that happened, witnessed by thousands and thousands, and indeed changed the world. In just a matter of a few hundred years, the whole world knew who you were. They knew your son. They knew the story. And to this day, it expands at an astonishing rate. And we just pray that you would help us to be a part of telling people about your love.
that knowing the mess we were in, you wrote yourself into our story. Your son became a man, added a human nature to who he was, to his person. And through that, was able to live a human life, a real human life, suffer as real humans do, but without sin. Only at the end of his life, he took on our sin. And he paid the price of our sins. And we don't have to pay it. We don't have to. We couldn't anyway. And now we don't have to. It's paid for. It's all done in Christ. And then he went on and he gave us his righteousness. All that he is, the goodness that he is, he will put on us. And as we work our way through this life, becoming sanctified, changed from within, bit by bit, we become more and more like your son. And one day, we won't just have the right of righteousness, we'll actually be perfectly righteous, absolutely perfect. We will be because of your son and because of what you've done for us. Wow, what an amazing truth. That's a miracle that I want to see. (laughs) And one day we'll all get to see that in ourselves. All we have to do is admit our need, believe that Jesus can and will save us. And then we will commit our lives to him. Thank you, Father, for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this message first heard at Living Hope Church of Westport. Please feel free to worship with us, maybe this next Sunday. You can also join us online at southbeachhope.org. We'd appreciate your financial support if that is possible. We are a tiny church in a small town, but at least with the help of Sermon.net, we can share the good news with you and everyone around the world. Hopefully we'll someday be able to worship God together in person, if not in Westport, at least in the rapture.